I think for us, one of the hardest things is obviously a lot of our messaging, because we're doing a lot of educating, comes with a lot of doom and gloom, like the stuff I was just telling you about the planet, about, you know, your body. But I think making sure that there is lightness in it, I think that's what leaves a viewer wanting more and wanting to come back. Welcome to another episode of Communicating Purpose. I'm John Higginson and I believe that the best way to get a message across clearly is by talking about something you honestly and passionately believe in. By doing so, you bring people with you. Your passion becomes theirs and I call this the power of purpose. My guest today is co-founder and co-CEO of sustainable period product company Dame. Prior to her work with Dame, Celia Poole was a project manager at Auctioneers Sotheby's. Before that, uh, she founded Sanitary Owl, which provided bespoke menstrual products as a subscription service. Dame's period products are chemical-free and carbon negative. They include the world's first reusable tampon applicators, reusable period pads and pants. And they're now stocked in well-known stores such as Sainsbury's Boots, Ocado, Waitrose, ASOS and Next. And like Higginson Strategy, Dame are also a B Corp. So welcome, Celia. Thank you for having me, John. Very happy to be here. Great. So just tell, tell us a bit about that journey I've just touched on uh, now. <laughs> yeah, so it feels like it's been quite a long journey. It's been um, in this kind of sector of periods, it's been about nearly 10 years. And it definitely isn't something where when I was little, <laughs> where I thought I'd end up, as you can see from my career before it in the art world. But, um, but it was something which... I essentially wanted to get into because I always wanted to do something that supported women and help women. And this seemed like a really obvious place to start because it's quite overlooked, but quite fundamental to the way that a lot of women view their bodies. And when I started getting into it about 10 years ago, the communication strategy was still the same as when I was a teenager. It was don't talk about it, shove the tampon up your sleeve um let's have all the products in sort of garish writing down an aisle in the supermarket where no one wants to really spend more than 0.5 seconds and we realized that that something needed to change with that because until you can actually get the communication right no one's going to come and buy your product think about your product talk about your product spread the message so for us it was really re-looking at the whole category and how it was being put out to customers. And that's why one of the big things that we really try for at Dame is acceptability. It's acceptability of these products, of your period, of your body, not just for women, but for men as well. Yeah, and, and so that's, that's something that really uh, struck me, actually looking at uh, the way that Dame presents itself to the world, looking, looking at your website and looking at your advertising. Um, and I've, I've worked in this area as well before with clients where you've got something that people don't like talking about, and that's quite hard on communication. And um, so just tell us about 
the way that you brand brand yourself. I mean, it almost feels quite glamorous. Can I say that? <laughs> um, definitely say that. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, no, you're completely right. It's incredibly tough to go up into a category where, first of all, no one wants to talk about it. And second of all, no one can see the product. Like you can have your customer walking around using your product and no one can actually see it. Yeah. So already you're starting at sort of five love down. But um, but I think for us, like I said, it was all about making sure that we could take this product out of the bathroom cupboard and put it out there on the shelf. And by doing that, we realized that we had to cut through the noise that the rest of the category was doing. And that meant going after colors and tone and voice, which was different, hence why we didn't use pink. We didn't use garish bright colors. We used something that we thought was going to fit into the rest of a woman's life because a lot of time when you go into someone's bathroom you see the beautiful products out on display and you see the hideous products shoved away in the cupboard and we wanted to make sure that we were going to do that and I think one of the biggest shocks for us and I guess sort of heartwarming slap on the back was quite early on in our career we won a design design award for our product and that was a real sort of okay, right, we're heading in the right direction. Because if we're sitting here amongst some of the most amazing designers like of our time, standing up on the podium and getting an award from Lenny Henry and nearly fainting, then we know that we must be sort of heading in the right direction. Because again, going back to that thing, until you can get people starting to talk about these things, you're not really going to get them to start changing their buying habits. Yeah. And one of the other reasons, so one of the reasons that we noticed you is is because of the uh, empower campaign that Higginson strategy runs which is uh, moving into period poverty and and I know that we'll be working together on that um but but the other one is is um plastics and you might know that we work a lot with uh, um people in the plastics space and so tell us a bit about your advertising because I know that you've done um, outside advertising, highlighting the toxins, plastics, bleach in, in uh, normal tampons, pesticides as well. Um, tell us a bit about about that. So, yeah, so basically the, the sort of two big things that we look at when we look at tampons is, first of all, it's an unregulated industry in the EU. So the scary fact is that anyone could put any product on the market and it hasn't been verified or certified or tested. So for decades and decades, products have been put out there and we don't know what the ingredients are and we don't know the ramifications of what they're having on their bodies. Um, that's for a whole other big conversation about why women's health is massively underfunded and under-researched. But as a result of that, that does mean that there are various items that are in standard tampons, which are concerning to the way that our bodies work. Um, Put that together with the fact that these products are made up of a lot of plastic. So not only is that the kind of obvious plastics that you see, it's the plastics around the applicators or the wrappers, but also there's plastic in the core of the product. So for example, like a packet of tampon, uh, sorry, a packet of pads is the equivalent to about four plastic shopping bags worth of plastic, which is no surprises because if you're a woman, you walk around and you hear it rustling like your bag rustles when you get your shopping. So you can make the connection there pretty easily. Um, but again, it's getting out and trying to communicate that to people and making sure that you can do it in a way that's not 
scary that's not a turnoff that is also going to be advertising which people are getting on board with and they don't they're not just taking away the message they're also taking away the product as well and that's always obviously like a very fine line to run and I think once some of the places where we have sometimes come up against things is where we've had these two messages that are quite very both equally important but very different in the way that we want to communicate and working out which one of those messages should go first because obviously for us both are equally important but working out which one the consumer is going to respond to more yeah yeah and uh, and so when you say the two two messages you're talking about the health message so the potential health message and also the environmental message as well exactly and you've also got this additional message that you're trying to take something that no one wants to talk about and get them talking about it so there's that extra um kind of almost shame element that that you're trying to overcome kind of a societal uh, women not wanting to talk about it men not wanting to talk about it people wanting to hide 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 their their product i mean traditionally you know it's not something that, that you know tampons aren't something that people put out on the table and 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 uh and have there so you've got those all those different communications battles uh, that you're fighting there yeah so it's really interesting and it's um it's a challenge it's tough but at the same time it's an enjoyable problem to have because there is so much to talk about yeah tell us about one of the biggest challenges that you've had in the in, in your years and, and and also tell me tell me about the uh, the changeover from sanitary owl, which which sounded like it was going down that 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 route. Why did you? What happened with that company, and why have you got Dame now? Well, I think first of all, with sanitary owl, we realised also that the name was it had its own sort of shelf life. There was we started out doing it because we loved a pun and we loved mm. taking the piss and having fun with it, but it definitely had a shelf life into how far we were going to be able to push it. Um, where where Sanitrial and Dame differ was Sanitrial was taking other people's products and putting them out there. And we realized that that was only going to take us sort of to the gate of where we wanted to get to. We wanted to push through the door and run straight in. And it was at that juncture where we realized that actually we needed to create our own products. We needed to put our own stamp out there and we needed to really truly be innovative. That Dame was born out of that. Um, it was a pivot. It wasn't an easy pivot. Pivots are never as easy as they sound. Um, they are slow and painful and um, very, very, a lot of sort of head searching and head wringing. Um, but it was, a, it was a great opportunity for us to kind of start again with a lot of knowledge and a customer base and really go out there. I think the challenge for us has been with, mostly with Dame, is really trying to build and lead a team in challenging times because as I'm sure you know a business a brand communication is nothing without the people who are behind it and the last few years in this world have been some of the toughest years known of recent times in terms of COVID pandemic um, cost of living crisis work from home even trying to not only build a team from scratch, which is what we started just as lockdown happened, but navigate that way of building team culture, building everything when you're not even sitting in the same room as each other. And that's actually funny enough where you realize that communication 
you know, you can do as much as you want trying to get out to your customers, but actually communication with your team is is equally as important. And I think that's been a real challenge for us because like other small businesses, you know, we've been feeling our way through it, but it is, I think, critical to any brand's success. Yeah. So, so how big is your team now then? Uh, so our team right now is is still nice and really small. We try to keep it lean. We're still quite a small brand um, and still trying to kind of build it up and make sure that we're building it up in a meaningful and sustainable way. And so um, I think you might have point, pointed to some of those challenges. Is is that the biggest challenge you've faced kind of trying to build a team remotely for a lot of a lot of that at that time? Or have you faced bigger challenges as well? No, I mean, gosh, there are like, <laughs> we're in a startup, we have like challenges running through day on day. I think the reason why the team is such an important one is because I feel with challenges, there are external challenges as a small brand, which you have no control over. There are things happening out there in the market with your competitors, uh, even with some investors, which you have no control over. I think the challenges which you do have control over are the ones that are inside your house. And that's where I feel like your team, what you do as a business, how you act, how you live by your values, those are the, the biggest challenges which I feel you can point to. Because those are the things you can control. Those are the things you can go after. And for us, you know, there's all sorts of turmoil that happens day in, day out. But again, going back to it, it's what's inside our house, which I find the most interesting challenges because those are the ones which we we have the ability to address. What, what makes a good message for you? I think a good message for me is a sort of, it's a healthy dose between direct honesty and playful intrigue. I think you want to get straight down to brass tacks, but at the same point, you want to leave something there that people want to find out more from and that they feel a little bit lighter and a little bit lifted. I think for us, one of the hardest things is obviously a lot of our messaging, because we're doing a lot of educating, comes with a lot of doom and gloom, like the stuff I was just telling you about the planet, about, you know, your body. But I think making sure that there is lightness in it, I think that's what leaves a viewer wanting more and wanting to come back. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, Tell me about what kind of mediums you you, uh, read. How do you get... um your news and uh, everything else? Well, I'm, for anyone who knows me, a bit of a social media, I want to say Luddite, but it's not Luddite. I actively try not to be on it. I I think I know that social media is is a bit poison for me. So therefore, I, I use it in only various ways, which I feel is healthy. So therefore, I much prefer to try and go after accredited news. Um, I try to read broad spectrum. So, you know, anything on the right, anything on the left and anything in the center, anything too far out on those branches, I find just gets me angry. So I have to like chuck it away. But I know that because we're moving into an increasingly polarized society, it's important to read around and not just sit in your silo. So I do struggle to make myself read both sides, which I don't always agree with. But yeah, I try to go after accredited because I just want to make sure that I'm getting something that has 
got a code of ethics behind it and has been fact-checked. And so what are some of those accredited titles that you're talking about that you read? So, I mean, I'll go anything from, you know, BBC, Guardian, Telegraph, which people call Torygraph, you know, anything, even sometimes my husband makes me read Breitbart News just so that, not that he's into Breitbart News, but just to make sure that we're kind of, just to make sure that you're seeing what some people really are thinking and saying. Um, Again, it's, it's just like interesting to see what's out there in the world. You know, I'm a big fan of getting sort of a mix of opinions and ideas. And I know it's very easy for me to stay in my silo. So I need to make sure that I push myself out. What do you do to de-stress in, in the day? Well, do you know what? <laughs> I find I've always been like a really big walker. Um, I love a walk. I used to live in London. I moved out of London to Dorset about a year ago, which really conversely means that you walk less because you have to go everywhere by car, which I'm not such a fan of. Um, so I try to walk, but if it, the weather is too miserable and I really can't get out, I've actually turned into a bit of a granny and I love a jigsaw. I find a jigsaw, which is so, I find it really calming for your brain because your brain can just, especially if we're trying to go creative, I find just that action of taking that top level off allows me to think a lot quicker and allows me to get to where I want to be a lot quicker. So yeah, I find I find sort of <laughs> switching off of jigsaw is quite good. It's not the kind of sexiest thing to be able to go and do, but no, it seems to work. Well, people people did go big big for jigsaws during during lockdown. It was, <laughs> it was certainly one of those things along with baking baking bread. No, definitely. Um, but then they gave it up. <laughs> yeah, baking bread. I mean, who's actually? <laughs> baked a loaf since uh since since the first try of lockdown i've got no idea but um so are there any communications campaigns that you can think of that you've been particularly impressed by that, that others have done oh my god yeah um i think the one which really stands out for me is claire rothstein's um be a lady they said that she did for the fashion magazine girls 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 it's the one with Cynthia Nixon. Um, and it's just mesmerizing. And you can watch it again and again and again. And it just hits you each time with its power. Yeah, great. And if you could give one piece of advice to yourself at the start of your career, what, what would it be? Uh, if it was one piece, I would say dream big. Um, realize that it's going to take a lot of steps to get there but those steps are actually quite small so just get started on them I think a lot of the time when I was younger I would think that would be amazing but oh how do you ever do that how would you ever get there no I just won't try I won't try but actually when you realize that it's literally just one foot in front of the other um and the sooner you get started the sooner you'll get there because no one else is going to push you along um I wish I'd realized that earlier it basically, for me, it led to me only starting my business when I had my first child. And I've had two more since. And it would have been a lot more simple to have done it when I had no children. So I wish I'd started sooner. Well, I've got, I've got two children and I, and I didn't start my business until um, I'd, I'd had, had them either. And so I uh, completely concur. It would have been a lot easier without <laughs> them. But um, 
Anyway, fun anyway. Celia Paul, um, co-founder and co-CEO of Dame. Thank you for speaking to me, John Higginson, on Communicating Purpose, produced this week by Joe Leonard Waters. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks so much, John. 